Welcome everyone to episode 135 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Dan Club to revisit our pre-season predictions and reflect on Liverpool's season. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So going all the way back to August, three days before the season started, myself, Dan, Chloe and Chris basically put out all our predictions for the season. We covered a whole host of topics. We looked at the league table, obviously, but both ends of it. We looked at the individual awards. We even threw a hot take in there. Um, so we're going to revisit all of those now. We said we did that at the time. So there's certainly a mix having reviewed them of some one or two inspired shouts, but I'd say maybe slightly outnumbered by um, a few clangers. Um, not that we were to know that at the time. So yeah, we'll look at that. And then we're really going to just give a, a final word on this Liverpool season, which has obviously been a big disappointment. Um, and we'll just sort of work out really where we think it went wrong, how it will be remembered. So let's get straight into it anyway. We'll start with our predictions for the top six. Um, so everybody had a top four, which had um, Spurs third and Chelsea fourth. And then the only difference with that was who was going to win the league. So Dan, Chloe and Chris also Liverpool would win. Um, I I favoured Man City being the natural sort of pessimist. Um, I mean, the head, one of the headlines there is, you know, obviously we very much overestimated Spurs. They were dreadful. There's a, actually a prediction from you later, Dan, that is along the overestimating Spurs lines as well. Um, and, and Chelsea too, I mean, finishing 12th. But I suppose the more interesting thing is why we thought Liverpool would win the league. So I was listening back to the podcast, Dan, and your reasons were... As follows, you, you said that Liverpool were better prepared to adapt to move into a, a number nine system, because obviously both teams have done that. Mm-hmm. You said that Liverpool would benefit from um, the World Cup break, um, obviously with Mo Salah um, be, being someone, for example, who wasn't going to be there, Andy Robertson too. Mm-hmm. And also, I think this is the one that's probably aged, aged the worst. The Community Shield <laughs> suggested that Liverpool were in a better position than Man City. So, sort of, I mean, how do you reflect on on those those shouts and that reason and that. I stand by every single one of them. Um no, the Halcyon days of that community shield game, eh? The uh, yeah. the false hope that day out in the sun gave us at the King Power. Um yeah, I mean the World Cup one, you know, should have been sort of a, a salient point and it should have made sense, I guess, at the time. I know Erling Haaland thing as the World Cup even when you've got two key players such as Alice um Allison. I was thinking of Firmino not going there. That's why I got that. Yeah. And you got um, Salah and Andy Robertson mm-hmm. not going to such a major competition. And obviously Trent barely kicked the ball for England as well. Yeah. You know, you do kind of think, okay, that bodes well for the season and what's to come afterwards. But in hindsight, you know, the World Cup actually came at a bad time for us in terms of the season because our mm-hmm. one, you know, if you can call it patch of form prior to the running, actually came just before the World Cup and it felt like a bit of a reset for us at the time, but we just got worse, actually. We got much, much worse when we came back. So, yeah, I guess I, I, I like to think that, you know, the optimism I had back then was well-placed. And uh, Like I said, Community Shield was definitely a performance that suggested we were ready for the fight. In terms of adapting to number nine, I think Nunez's struggles are something nobody could really yeah. have foreseen happening. I mean, he actually started the season pretty well, to be fair. Mm-hmm. 
but he's tailed off in a bad, bad way towards the end. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed of myself, let's put it that way, but uh, it was miles off. Yeah, I mean, let's put it out there, like, at the time, you know, this is all benefits of hindsight stuff, like, all, all these shouts kind of made sense at the time, so when there's no, it's a, it's a judgment-free zone um, for these predictions. I mean, I've got a, I had a pretty sort of wild take on one of them as well, which I'll come to in a second, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting really to look at like preseason narratives, and there was so much talk last summer about the World Cup being like a game changer, and how much of an effect did it really have? I mean, at the top of the league, maybe, I mean, Man-, Man City maybe benefited from it a little bit. They were struggling, mm-hmm. but I suppose for Liverpool, we looked at it as maybe a chance to reset. Maybe they come at a bad time with those victories, but again, like it, it's not really Liverpool just kind of got worse. It wasn't that sort of. Um, that moment to kind of go again that, that we thought it might be and it didn't really change the the dynamics of the season all that much so I suppose we'll find ourselves in a similar position come August this year where we're like these are going to be the big stories of the season and you just never really know how it's going to pan out Um I had City to win the league I said um I, I said City will have a squad with no weaknesses Liverpool will have a weakness which is the midfield not in particularly insightful I mean everyone was talking about that at the time mm-hmm. but the thing I said um which was quite bold was if Liverpool keep Thiago fit for the whole season, they'll win the league. Um, was, was my declaration. Um, in fairness, Thiago was not fit for the whole season, so maybe that was the one difference. Um, maybe, maybe that was it. Um, and you know, who knows? But uh, maybe Liverpool get top four with Thiago, but certainly still nowhere near. Um, so again, it just shows you that the the, the way things change really. Um, Let's move it on then to um, the next set of predictions. And these are kind of more sort of general Premier League ones. Um, so we, we kind of went through a lot of the individual awards. Um, so, Dan, we both had Salah to win the Golden Boots, ends up mm-hmm. finishing fourth with, with 19 goals, which is a decent return. Obviously, yeah. Haaland in his own stratosphere with that. Um, we had De Bruyne for most assists. So um, we actually got that one right. De Bruyne got 16 assists. Um I had Allison to win the Golden Glove, um, came second with 14. De Gea won that with 17. Dan, do you remember who you had to win the Golden Glove? You were going to tell me Hugo Lloris. It was Lloris, yeah. I knew you were going to say um, that. Which, um, again, at the time, we thought we had Spurs third in the table. So, yeah. you know, fair enough. Conte being the manager and all that. Uh, but yeah, he and only got uh, seven clean sheets in the end, which, which was 13. So it's one of them. We just thought back and you're grimace and you think, hang on, no, at the time. Yeah, it was maybe fair enough. Um, player of the year hasn't been announced yet, um, but probably going to be Haaland as well. We had the brain, I had the brain, you had Salah for that one. And um, the best signing one is worth touching on too. I kind of cheated, I had three players. Okay. I, I said, I said, Gabriel Jesus, um, yeah. Ease Basuma, Sven Botman. Two of those have gone all right. One of them, mm-hmm. I mean, Basuma's he's just barely kicked the ball all season. Um, you had um, Fabio Cavallo. Oh, um, God. And for a few weeks, that looked inspired because 7.5 million, I think, all told for him. Um, great start of the book career, but then he just went off a cliff, yeah, didn't he? Um, and now there's talk about him, him going as well. Um, so how do how do you uh, how do you reflect on that one? Yeah, that's a that's a bad one on my behalf. To be honest, it's a really poor poor prediction. But like you say, again, another player who. Actually, you know, shows signs, and I think he scores against Bournemouth in the nine nil. Obviously, gets the winner in the Newcastle game. He shows early signs of promise, and you think, okay. And then it's a, such a strange situation, the Carvalho one, because Jurgen Klopp continues to sing his praises despite 
he took him off in the Man City game where after he scored, and he literally never seen him again up until right at the end of the season. And yet every time Klopp speaks about him, it's like, oh no, he's brilliant in training. He keeps impressing me. It's such a such a weird scenario for him to find himself in. They have all his Instagram stuff as well the other day, which is not a great look yeah. for me. Um, yeah, I, listen, I think for the price and the fact we obviously missed out on him in the January made me suggest that we did have a bit of a star on our hands. I still believe he's going to be a very talented footballer. Um, whether that's at Liverpool or not, I'm not quite sure right now. Yeah, that's very much up in the air at the moment. Um, you did redeem yourself with the next couple of shouts, though. Gianluca Scamacca is worth signing, I think, is definitely one that you can stand by. I'm sick um, of that. Had a look at his stats. Um, only started 11 Premier League games, injury. A few games where he's not even come on as a sub at all, so he's well down the pecking order. I don't know if you saw... Mikael Antonio speaking about on the other day, which is unbelievable to hear someone say that about a player who's sort of a, a current teammate. Wow. Um, eight goals, 27 games, all compositions. So um, quite poor at return for, for sort of a big striker. And you also had Scott Parker as the first manager sacked. Obviously, Liverpool saw to that. Um, that for, was he the first? Yeah, he was. I'm, I'm confident that he was anyway. Very early. Um, That's the 9 0, like you say. So it was very late was, August. Was I think the fourth, was it the fourth or? Or third, it was the fourth game of the season, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty it was early, yeah. About 27th of August, that game, I think 27th, 28th. Um, so and as as we sort of said at the time, the signs were there because he was complaining about the Bournemouth squad, um, a lot. And uh, I think he said after the 9 0, we're just not equipped to stay up. And they were like, Yeah, we, we can't sure. have that um energy. I had um Ralph Hassenhuttle, who was one of the first three, I think. Um, and to be fair, we all did quite well on, on these. Um, the only other one, just kind of looking to Chloe and Chris's predictions on this, that stood out. Um, Chloe struggled with best signing as well in the end, said Raheem Sterling uh, at Chelsea. Which again, at the time, it was like proven Premier League goal scorer mm-hmm. going in. Could he kind of elevate them? But yeah, only only six goals and 28 for Sterling. And to be fair, nobody saw Chelsea coming um, yeah. come 12th, did they? Um, so it's um, it's just one of them. That, that we've had a few times in this podcast, I think. Relegated teams, um, we had Southampton, Fulham and Bournemouth. Dan, I think we we both owe Fulham and Bournemouth an apology. Yeah, absolutely. As, as a lot of people do, to be fair. Um, but Southampton, I think, was a decent shout from us. Mm-hmm. Chloe said Leeds would go down, which was which was correct. Um, Chris had Forrest along with Southampton and Bournemouth. So we were all, you know, we've all done all right on that one, I think. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. at least we're getting one of the teams. But, um Fulham and Bournemouth, obviously credit to them two big other big overachievers. Um and that just leaves us with the hot takes. Dan, your hot take was that Harvey Elliott would start more games than Cater and Henderson. Um, which almost came true. Nabby Cater with three. <laughs> so he was he was this is in the Premier League alone, by the way. So he was yeah. a long way off. Elliott 18, Henderson 23. So if I throw that forward to next season. Do you reckon Elliot will start more games now? Do you reckon we'll reach that sort of tipping point with those players at the opposite ends of their careers? If anything, that's more interesting heading into this next season than it was at the start yeah. of the season just gone. Because in one breath, I want to say yes, I'd almost double down on that prediction. Because, I mean, obviously, like you say, the age is definitely a factor. But I see Jordan Henson's role sort of shift into the Milner role a little bit more. It's not sort of anything new. Everyone's had the same conversations, I'm sure. I see him becoming Milner, but I don't know whether that means Elliot will start loads more. Because obviously, as we know, we're looking for two 
stroke three midfielders. Mm. You'd imagine one of them will be sort of the attacking right-sided eight, which obviously where we see Harvey Elliott most of the time. So, so much depends on the transfer market on that. If you were, say, say for instance, we go with this squad plus McAllister, plus more of a, a defensive-minded midfielder, then yes, I'd say so. But if we sign the third one, which will probably be the right-sided eight, like I say, yeah. then I think Elliot will find himself as part of the rotation again and not really starting all that. I think, what to cut it short, what I'm trying to say is, I think the most naturally sort of adept player we have for that right-sided eight role in our new system is Harvey Elliott now. I think he's yeah. better than Thiago at it. Thiago is a, a magician of a footballer. Don't think that role suits him necessarily. I think he's better than Henderson at it just because of what he offers. So I think as we are speaking now, yeah, Harvey Elliott will definitely start more games during Henderson next season. But if we go and sign sort of the finished article, then that change. Yeah, I think... Um, just I, I just don't think Henderson can, you know, deliver that higher level as an attacker midfielder, to be honest. I just don't think it's his, his skill set. Um, and I agree with you that in terms of that new system, as a result of that, then Elliot um, looks like the better fit. Um, my hot take was one that I'm actually fairly happy with in the sense that it wasn't too far off. I said Salah would get 20 assists in all competitions. I mean, a, bit, a big theme of this podcast was that Darwin Nunez was going to really drive people's numbers up. I mean, mm. I think Chloe had, had Trent as... Um, the player of the year, did she? Or well, most somebody assists. did? Most assists, maybe. Oh, it was Chris. It was Chris who had um, Trent as a potential player of the year winner because of linking up with Nunez and he ended, it done like he assisted him in the end till, till January. Mm. Um, so again, it, it really shows you, I suppose, how big a, a feature Darwin Nunez was in our optimism. Um, yeah. People will debate how much he was in kind of Liverpool's um, struggles since, I suppose. Um so Salah ended up getting 16 assists. I mean, just an absolute beacon of consistency. So um, not miles off with that. Chloe said um, Liverpool won't compete on four fronts like they did on last season, which, fair enough, Nailed completely it. right. Yeah. Um, not sure on the heat of, of, the, of the take with that one. I think it was a little well, bit... Well, zero of fronts, it would have been a hotter take. Yeah, zero <laughs> fronts, as it turned out, sadly. Yeah. Um, with every cup competition. At the second hurdle, we, we ended up going out. And then Chris said, um, again, I, um, I should have rejected this at the time. Chris said Robbo and Trent would have more assists than Diaz. I mean, they've, uh, they've been oh. Liverpool's top assist providers for a while. Again, he's correct. That. He is correct. Yeah, of course he's correct. But like, Diaz missed six months. Yeah. Mohamed Salah will start a game of football. Yeah. That's mine for next year. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We will be, we'll be revising the criteria a bit um, yeah. for, for what constitutes a hot take and what doesn't. But... Um, Anyway, so let's so that's the predictions um, dealt with. Um, like I said at the start, a few that we can be sort of quite happy with, and a few that um, are a little bit kind of embarrassing to look back on at this stage. But what I want to do now is kind of really just offer our last reflections on this Liverpool season, um, and the way I'll lead us into it, Dan, is by saying, you know, when we look back on the Jurgen Klopp years, there's, there's sort of a narrative, I suppose, around every season. This season's not long finished, but how do you think this season will go down in the history books? It won't be one that's remembered too fondly, I won't imagine, if I'm being honest. There's obviously certain moments within the season that you will always, will never forget. Manchester United 7-0, of course, being the, 
being the main one from it. And there's been some other good good performances along the way as well. You know, you look at the Rangers game, you know, you know, despite the opposition, you don't go away in Europe often and put seven past your opponents. Um, that Bournemouth game that we've already mentioned, again, you know, anyone who's there that day will never forget, you know, glorious sunshine, Anfield 9-0, doesn't happen every day of the week. So, there are moments from the season. I think, actually, to be honest, we'll kind of remember the season less for what it didn't amount to in terms of us competing for stuff. Like I've just said, we didn't compete for anything, really. I actually think we'll remember it most of all for the goodbyes that have come at the end of it. Certainly Roberto Firmino. Um, a little bit of Milner thrown in, even less Oxnabby Cater thrown in. But I think the poignant moments, along with the United 7-0, will just be saying goodbye to somebody like Roberto. I think whenever we do mention this season down the line, it will always be, oh yeah, do you remember Bobby at the mural, Bobby's last goal at Anfield, signing off at Southampton. They'll be the things that we talk about. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, and I want to touch on those kind of huge wins that we've had, you know, 7-0 United, 9-0 Bournemouth, 7-1 uh, against yeah. Rangers, was it? Um, Leeds, 6-1, probably another one that I'm forgetting as well uh, within that. And Liverpool... Also, you know, pulled off some some big. They beat Manchester City. I mean, they beat the champions at home. They outplayed Arsenal at home as well. Beat Spurs, obviously, in in a crazy game. Mm. Do you look at those games and think are they are they tinged with pain in the sense that that was the level that this side was capable of? And you think what could what could have been this season if they'd been able to deliver that on a consistent basis? Or or do you is that not necessarily how you see it? No, there's definitely an element of that. Of course, there is. I'd be foolish and and lying to say there wasn't, because especially the Man City one, because it was so early in the season, and that was a performance against you know the best side in the world, quite frankly, that suggested mm. that we were still capable of competing with the very best on our day. So there was definitely frustration when you look back around those sort of performances. But I think my overriding feeling being sort of a bit of a pragmatist with it all, just suggests that as a squad, in terms of what we had at our disposal, because of the, the really bad summer that we had the, the year before, the pre-season wasn't great, and then the transfer window was even worse. So as a pragmatist, I can almost separate the two and say, on our day, we were capable of competing, but actually, overall, doing it on a consistent basis, we weren't prepared for that. Um, and the sort of the reasons behind that are plentiful. People called it a hangover for a large part of the season. Then it was injuries didn't play, didn't help. Thiago that sort of played a part as well. The really bad transfer window, the really poor preseason, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, like I say, I, I can allow myself to almost make peace with the fact that that's what we were this season. We were very inconsistent, and and not get too frustrated at the fact that. Yes, on our day we could compete because I just think it's it's a bit like Klopp's early days actually this season. On our day we could compete with the best, but our days just were nowhere near consistent enough. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the sort of what you thought the main reason was for for this season um, going so badly. You touched on a lot of them there. You know, my main theory for a lot of the season was that it was that kind of hangover from last year because I've said it so many times. The way we felt as fans after, you know, the way the, the last day of the Premier League season played out to lose the Champions League final, like six days after that, I mean, we had that parade and we thought that we could sort of 
changed the narrative a little bit. And I think looking back now, it was it was just so brutal that the players, you know, for so long they were kind of these mentality monsters. And I think that just sort of broke them a little bit, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I think there have been signs of recovery on that front, which is which is good. Um but I think that I mean the injuries the injuries have been dreadful again this season. Almost similar to a couple of years ago. Um worst injury record in the league. There needs to be, I think, a bit of an inquest into that. You know, we can never say from the outside that some someone's not doing their job properly. We we just don't know enough. And I never would say that. But I think to have consistently a high level of injuries over a few years, there should be kind of at least a review into the process that's happening. Mm-hmm. Cause maybe it is just bad luck, but I think, you know, there is always things a club can do to, to lower the risk. Um, and then you've got, I suppose the actual football and stuff. I mean, we've seen multiple big players struggle than, um, you know, the likes of Van Dyke Trent has, has had a poor season for three quarters of it, really uh, Fabinho as well. Um, you know, it was Allison and Salah of kind of Liverpool's big names who were consistently fit and consistently delivering, you'd have to say. Um, what about Jürgen Klopp's season? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think you'd have to say there was a time during the season where he definitely looked a little bit stuck for answers. Um, and he tried lots of things. I don't think you can really fault him. I think one of the major criticisms on Klopp throughout his tenure at Liverpool has been not trying to change matches sort of in-game and he's been unwilling to sort of break away from, you know, the tried and tested, if you like. We've seen, I've been on this podcast and numerous others in the past and talked about sort of his overlooking of the likes of Takumi Minamino and Jordan Shaqiri before him when games weren't going to plan and he had attacking options, he was very reluctant to use them. So... I think this season, on sort of a bigger, grander scale than that, he hasn't really sort of exacerbated that problem because when things really were going badly, he wasn't afraid to change the formation. Now, he's been wedded to the 4-3-3 pretty much since he arrived at Liverpool. Like, as soon as he got Bobby Firmino ticking, essentially, it's been 4-3-3 forever. And when it wasn't working, like, I remember the Nottingham Forest game, for instance, away when we got beat there, when it was obvious that something had to give, he did change it. And obviously towards the back end of the season, he's changed it drastically and changed it so it actually eventually works. Um, so I think we've got to give him credit for that, for being sort of more fluid in his system, like I say, because he's definitely been a bit of a stickler, I think, in the past in terms of the personnel and in terms of formations and systems. So he definitely deserves credit for that. I think how he's how he's conducted himself in terms of taking a lot of the pressure away from the players is really impressive as well. He's never really, he's not like he's a blame the players, but he's taken a lot of the burden on himself. Um, and, and as a collective, so it's sort of our job to fix it, et cetera, et cetera. And also, I do want to credit him at the back end of the season for putting such a positive spin on how the season's gone in terms of getting to the Europa League as well. And I actually agree with him wholeheartedly on that because there were times this season whereby I've never not wanted Europe. I know that was a conversation earlier on this year and maybe sort of turn turn of Christmas, turn of the year. I've always wanted some form of European competition, ideally not the Conference League. And at times it looked like we weren't going to get any, quite frankly. And I think Jurgen Klopp, 
in recent weeks, the more it looked like Europa League was going to be our destiny, has done a really impressive job of putting a really positive spin on that. And that is to his credit as well. So as much as a lot of the issues and the failings, you know, he has to take blame for, in inverted commas, because, you know, the transfer window was an absolute mess. Now, whether he was going to the people in charge and saying, I need X, Y and Z, who knows? But he is part of a group of people that signed the footballers, quite frankly, and we didn't go and sign one. I always hark back to that press conference last summer, and we spoke about it, I think, at the time, where he said, we've got this midfielder, that midfielder, that midfielder, and that midfielder, and they do this, 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 and this. We don't need anyone. And I think everyone, to a man, woman, and child, sat there and went, that's nonsense. Because three of those six people you just mentioned will be injured within a fortnight. And I think two of them, Cater and Ox, were. So... That wasn't good. I get why he does it, because he's so loyal to some of his players and they've been through brick walls for him. I do understand it. But at times, just needs to sort of cut ties and he's not great at that. Hopefully, and it looks like already he might be this summer better at it. Um, so, yeah, I think he deserves... If I was sort of grading Jurgen Klopp on this season, I'd probably give him like a C. Because, yeah. like I say, as much as he was at fault for a lot of the problems that we had. You know, he was sort of the man overseeing the pre-season. He'd have been in charge of that. Decision-makings around transfers as well. I think when it has gone spectacularly wrong, like it has done, he's also done a very good job at A, taking the blame, and B, putting a positive spin on it in the end. Yeah, I think what's interesting with Klopp as well is, you know, basically every manager in the league this season, you can split them into sort of two groups. One is manager of the season contender and the other one is they've been sacked basically because there's been a record number of seconds and and Klopp is one of um, sort of only two or three managers who've actually managed to survive and that is sort of a sign of how much credit he has in the bank Mm. there was never a point I think I mean some people suggested but we never seriously thought Klopp had lost a dressing room you know we never lost the faith of of the fans or never lost the faith of, of those above him certainly and I think the new system looks very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. There's an argument maybe that he could have tried earlier. I mean, a lot of the experience he, he was trying, you know, we can't fault his ability to, or, or his willingness, I should say, to, you know, try new things. But there was definitely, I mean, it's again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but maybe there was a case that, you know, with Alexander-Arnold struggling, with the poor struggle in the midfield, it was kind of a natural experiment. But again, you know, it's, you don't want to be too critical of him over that. You just, you just can't help but wonder a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, so final question then, Dan. Um, Liverpool finishing fifth in the Premier League. Kind of an unthinkable outcome in mm-hmm. August. You know, we, we saw there three of us um, said they'd win the league um, out in the f- fourth round of the FA Cup, out in the fourth round of the League Cup um, and out in the Champions League round of 16 after a heavy defeat against Real Madrid. Um, what's your score out of 10 for, for that season? God. Oh, God. I mean, you put I mean, all the negatives in a row there, rightly so, because yeah. the facts are the facts. Like, But it's hard to come off the back of that and then give anything sort of above a... I'm tempted to give it a five. But mm. I, I'm, also, I'm also tempted to give it a six because yeah. just because of the way we managed to... To turn, I don't want to turn it round because that is too over the top. But yeah. at least steady the ship towards the mm. end. I feel like we've turned the corner. If you like, you know, a turning circle of an absolute cruise liner, <laughs> but it is facing the right way now. 
Yeah. And so I'll give it a six. And at times, I want to caveat that by saying at times it was as low as a three, possibly a two, yeah. because like most Liverpool fantasies, and I was in the doldrums with us, like certain matches, I was at Bournemouth away and got beat 1-0 by them. Like, trust me, on the drive back from there, that season was getting a one. Yeah. Uh, but as it stands right now, I am optimistic for the future. I'm not going to go sort of gung-ho and suggest anything just yet, but I will give it... Yeah, I'll give it a six. God. Yeah. I think I'd... I reckon I'd probably go two or three, to be honest, just because... Really? Just, just because... I mean, the thing is, I'm thinking if you told, said that to me at the start of the season, that's going to be Liverpool season. I'm like, yeah. That if that happened, that would be a two. So like, it's sort of do I say it now with hindsight where things have been better recently? I get that. Yeah. It up. How um, old are you? How old are you, Dave? So I should know this. How old are you? Twenty-three. Okay. Yeah, I'm thirty-one. And yeah, no, not that that matters necessarily, but I have got eight more years of watching Liverpool be bang average in my yeah. system. So maybe that's why I can look at no mm. cups and fifth and be like. Okay, like I'm because I'm yeah. used to it, I've become more accustomed to that season. Like, I shouldn't be like, I shouldn't yeah. settle for that, I'm fully aware of that. But because I've seen it probably eight more times in my lifetime, maybe <laughs> that's why. Like, I'm just trying to work yeah. out because I get where you're coming from. Like, I say, at times this season, I'd have been with you, but right now, and maybe it's the optimist and pessimist in us both, but right now, yeah, I can sort of make peace of what we've achieved mm. in inverted commas again because I think Europa League, you know, and the fact the finals in Dublin, that definitely is giving me a little bit of encouragement. But yeah, yeah maybe it is because like I say, I've seen that season so many times before. Yeah, I think I su- I suppose I'm not judging it as kind of a a season for just any kind of big six team or a season for Liverpool. I'm judging it kind of off the precedence of Klopp's Liverpool, I think, which obviously raises the standard quite a bit higher. Um, So there's definitely sort of two kind of legitimate ways to look at it, I suppose. Another factor is, I think, just the way the season has been from sort of a fan's point of view, like it's been, a, I mean, you mentioned that Bournemouth game there. It's been such a slog, and that's not just because of Liverpool, that's because Man City could be about to win a treble. Obviously, you Mm -hmm. know, they've been... um, our main kind of competitors in this area. And I think beyond that, it's just about, you know, what that means for football. Um, I mean, the only way they don't win a treble in all likelihood is if Man United win in the FA Cup as well. So again, it's like a bit of pain on that front. And um, and yeah, I just think it's just been comprehensively, it's like, it's been written um, almost by the script writers, a bit of a Liverpool downfall, but hopefully there's a, uh, a redemption arc to come with it. Um, and I think... Last point I'll make in terms of an optimistic twist on it is if we get to the end of the next, next season and this Liverpool system, which Klopp has tried out in this running, has brought Liverpool back to the top, then, you know, we can look at and say, you know what, we salvaged something really kind of valuable uh, from that season. Um, and hopefully that's the way it pans out. But yeah, uh, thanks very much, Dan. Uh, we'll leave that podcast here, obviously our last one of the season, but we'll have plenty of content for you across the summer as well and heading into next season. And hopefully our predictions are a bit more accurate. But yeah, until the next one, take care.